Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. It was just a few years ago, actually a year and a half or so, that we finished our study through the book of Colossians. So it's been a great help to us. And those of you who are joining us this morning, if you know anything about the book of Colossians, it is pure Christology. Colossians is pure Christology. Paul displays the person and work of Jesus Christ in this book. He presents Christ as superior over all things, as the all-sufficient Savior, and as the sovereign Lord. If you look with me at chapters 1 and 2, for instance, Paul proclaims and defends the supremacy of Christ over all creation, over salvation, over the church that is the entity that he builds as a result of saving us through faith. And then in the final two chapters, chapters 3 and 4 of Colossians, he emphasizes the supremacy of Christ in our personal lives. He gets into the corners of our lives that oftentimes are just uncomfortable. He talks about our marriages. He talks about our parenting. He talks about children obeying their parents. He talks about our workplaces, the master-slave relationships. He talks about our evangelism. He talks about our prayer life. I mean, the very aspects, right, of our, of our life that we oftentimes want to keep away from public observation. And Paul says, no, 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 because Jesus is your Lord, let's talk about his supremacy and his reign and his influence that he has on you in these very private areas of your life and of your home. But before he gets there, Colossians chapter three, verses one and four, is a bridge that joins this doctrinal sections of chapters one and two to the practical section in chapters three and four. And the whole point of the entire letter is this. Jesus Christ has forever changed our status before God through the bloody cross and the empty tomb. And in light of this new status, or you can say in light of this new position, we can run in a different direction, empowered by the power of Christ. So Colossians 3, 1 through 4, lays down the requirements and the reasons for living with heavenly priorities. I want us to focus now on these verses. Let's read them as we dive in to them. Chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed then you also will be revealed with him in glory. If you were to sum up everything that we'll be talking about and looking at and taking out of this text this morning, the big idea is this. Our new position in Christ results in new direction in life. New position equals new direction. Or another way, God's past, present, and future grace empowers us to see Christ in his agenda. What Christ had done, what he is doing, and what he promises to do in the future gives us power 
in order to accomplish this command that he lays out for us here. So let's dive in. Paul first gives us commands, what we are to do, and then he gives us three reasons why we must do what he commands us to do. Number one, and this is the whole point of the uh, passage. This is the whole point of the sermon. If you walk away and you forget everything else we talk about here this morning, and it is this, Christians keep seeking Christ. That, that, that's it. End of story. We can pray and close our Bibles and go home. But we're going to dig in a little deeper. Keep seeking Christ. First, he says there's a new direction that I want to talk to you about. He begins, right, and he makes it clear, Paul, here in verse 1, who's his audience is. He's addressing those who have been raised up to new life in Christ. Verse 3, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, pay attention. Those of you who are believers in this room, pay attention, this is for you. And he tells you, he tells them, Colossian church, to first of all, seek the things above. Seek the things above. And the tense in which he gives this verb or he gives this command is here, uh, sort of focuses on this continual preoccupation with something. Be continually focused on something. The picture here, if you can like it too, maybe a treasure hunter who has a map or, or nowadays maybe all kinds of digital gadgets here that would help him find this treasure, be preoccupied with it, right? He understands, this treasure hunter, that he won't discover the treasure until he is determined to find it. There's, there's got to be an eager goal or pursuit and a searching. Right? And this, this searching and seeking that Paul tells us about is not seeking for something that you've lost. Rather, it is seeking to obtain something. It is seeking to obtain something. This, this new drive, this new direction is you're going after this treasure. Now, what is this treasure? What is he talking about? What are we to seek? And here in our text, he says, you ought to seek the things above, seek the things above. And immediately, right, we ask, what are these things? What are these things that we as Christians, as the body of Christ, need to be seeking? And so often what we do in attempts to find an answer, we begin to import all kinds of ideas that might be true elsewhere in Scripture, but are not necessarily what Paul has in mind for us here. Or more importantly, what God has in mind as he's directing Paul to write these verses here for our instruction. So we need to look here. The answer to what the things above are comes in the rest of the verse. What does the rest of the verse say? Keep seeking the things above where Christ is where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Here's the operative person who's in view here, and that is Jesus Christ. If you were to condense and boil it down to one thing, in essence, Paul is saying, keep seeking Christ, who is at the right hand of the Father. The right hand always in Scripture points to authority. It points to this place of honor and majesty. This Christ who we ought to be seeking, he has full authority. We just read, right? Pastor Mike read from Matthew 28 that all authority is given to this one, to Christ, and we ought to be seeking him, and we ought to be seeking his agenda because he has been exalted to the place of honor and majesty. When Paul calls us to seek the things above, 
He's encouraging us to be preoccupied with heaven and the one who reigns there. To pursue Christ, to pursue his agenda, to pursue his attitudes, to pursue his goals. Maybe picture it this way. Think of a kid, maybe a teenager, whose mother asks him to go to the store to buy milk, eggs, and bacon. She gives him $20. I don't know if today $20 is enough to buy milk, eggs, and bacon. It's been a while since I did grocery shopping. But anyways, $20. And so she tells him, go get this these items, gives him a list, right? His mom has a definite goal in mind for what the child must do. In other words, she wants her agenda to become his agenda. I have the receipt, I have the grocery list, and I have $25, and I need to go and get what the list says I should get. But what could very well happen is this kid gets into the store and he doesn't get past the candy aisle. He has $20, he has the agenda, which goes in the back pocket, and he ends up spending it all on something else. And so he's heading home, you know, chocolate all over his mouth, completely unaware of the trouble that he's about to face. And so friends, that is the kind of lifestyle that Paul is trying to argue us out of, Christians, if you have been raised up with Christ, he says. God wants us to pursue his goals, Christ's goals, to live with his attitude. Now, what are they? What, what are these attitudes? If we were to go verse by verse through this uh, passage again or through this entire book, we would hit these verses. Check this out. Go to chapter 3. Go to verse 12, for instance. And here's what Paul would later on instruct the church to do. He says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on the heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love. So here's the grocery list. Here are the attitudes that belong to Christ, that characterize Christ. And Paul says, if you profess to know Christ, here's what he looks like. Here's the clothing you need to put on. Here's how you put on Christ. You become patient. You become kind. You become compassionate, gentle. You begin to forgive. Why? Because Jesus forgave us all. And so in your dealing with one another, this is what you begin to demonstrate. This is pursuing the things that are above God wants us to seek Christ and to put him on. Later on to the wives, Christ's attitude in marriage is expressed in their submission to their husbands, 3.18. To the husbands, Christ's attitude in marriage is expressed in their love for their wives, 3.19. The children seek Christ when they obey their parents, and parents honor Christ when they stop exasperating, frustrating their children. The treasure that we ought to seek is Christ, and he sets the direction, trajectory for our lives. Now, someone might ask, what if I'm having a hard time seeking after God and his treasure? What if I, I, I profess everything that they just professed? I profess to know. I profess to love, to, to have faith in Christ, but what, what if I'm not doing this constantly? 
What if I really do not find myself daily as I wake up desiring Christ, desiring his attitude? What if I'm having a really difficult time forgiving someone who's sitting right next to me right now? What do I do? Well, Paul adds a second command, which is sort of um, subordinate to this first command. Keep seeking the things above and look at verse two. Set your mind on the things above. Set your mind. New direction requires new mindset, new mindset. In order to seek after Christ and his desires, we must first think about Christ and all that he desires. We, we must be absorbed with the agenda. We must be absorbed with the gospel in order to become Christ-like because right thinking results in right behavior. To go in a new direction, we need to have a new mindset. He says, keep your or set your mind continually meditate on what well the very same thing that he calls us to right pursue to keep seeking the things of the that are above friends beloved church we our minds here they play a huge role in our pursuit of christ because our minds what fills our minds it's a control mechanism it's the engine that determines what we do and where we go. And that's why Paul says here, you seek and you make sure that what you think is what you should be seeking after. You know, for those of you who are in sports, into sports maybe, you often hear the statement, you know, it's all a mental game. In other words, your body will tell you, right, to quit. But if your mind is stronger than your body, you can push your body to do things that you never thought was possible. You just need to keep telling your body, keep going, keep going. You have to keep scoring, you have to keep pedaling, you have to keep running, you have to keep swimming, you have to do all of these things. And guess what? The body responds to the stimulus of the brain. The mind and will are necessarily connected with one another. And if we allow the enemy or this world, or even our own flesh, to get our minds to think of the worldly things, and not the things here that Paul describes as the things of the above, we will never seek those things. We will never set our affections upon them. Your mind forces you to take action, and that is the way God always works to make us more like Christ. He uses our mind, first and foremost, to dwell to think, to meditate on God's purposes, to meditate on Christ, God's person, God's goodness, God's pleasure. And then when we begin to fix our minds upon what the scripture promises and we seek, then as it says in Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. How much effort do you put into this? How much effort do you put into being a believer to live out the purposes and the goals that your master, your Lord determined for you? No wonder that is why Paul, after exhorting the Colossian believers to put on Christ, immediately following the verses we read in chapter three, 
He goes on and look what he says in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thanksgiving in your heart to God. It matters what fills your mind. That's why Paul says, for you to do this, for you to be patient, kind, loving, forgiving, you gotta go to the word and let the word of Christ dwell in you. Remember Psalm 1 that describes the blessed person? Psalm 1, right, the blessed person in in verse 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on this law day and night. Meditate because you will find again and again that your mind, right, I mean, it goes all over the place. You begin to think about all kinds of things. And we need to be actively pursuing, actively thinking and setting our minds on what is right. Paul is not saying here, friends, that we ought to just forget about this world. You know, don't think about earthly things. Or that this world is not important to consider or to think. We need to be careful not to make this separation between, quote-unquote, earthly and worldly, things that we do on earth as opposed to things we do in heaven. What we're taught here is that life on this earth is only possible when our heart is focused on Christ. That's what Paul is teaching here. Because this is where your life on earth must come from. What you do at work, what you do among your friends, what you do in your families and your churches and everything else is driven and determined by your focus. And so Paul says, focus there, focus on Christ so that what you do here can have long lasting eternal impact. Because he alone, Jesus alone, is able to provide both for physical and spiritual. Therefore, set your minds on things above. That is the command. Set. Keep setting. Keep pursuing. Keep seeking after Christ. Go back to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Now, you might be asking right about time, um, why would I even do this? Sounds like a hard exercise. Why would I do this? Or maybe some of you are wondering, can I even do this? I'm struggling. I don't know if this is possible. Well, in the next two verses, verses three and four, Paul gives us three reasons why we can and should seek God. And he says that God's present, or God's past, present, and future grace empowers you to seek. He's telling you, go in that direction because of your position. What is the position? Three reasons here, I want us to look at them quickly. Number one, you need to keep seeking Christ because you have been made alive in him. It's the first thing. You have been made alive in him. Notice that the command to seek and to set your mind is given as a result of some previous conditions. Look at verse one of chapter three again. Therefore, if, if you have, if something happened to you, verse three, four, four, here's the command and here's the reason. For something has taken place. In other words, do this because of your new position or new condition. He's not just giving you the hypothetical here, not as a possibility in verse one, if, no, but as a certainty. That's why some of your translations there probably has this verse one saying, since you have been raised up with Christ, because that is what this verse communicates. Since this is true of you then, since then, 
do this. Church, when we believe the gospel, that Christ lived for us, died for our sins, and resurrected for our justification, and when we repent of our sins, multiple things happen to us, Paul says. And one of the things that happened to us, or a couple that everybody testified here this morning, is this picture of death and resurrection, death and life, that you die and you rise up with Christ. When you were joined to Christ through faith, we died to him positionally, and we were raised up with him positionally. I saw this classic cartoon by Mary Chambers where she illustrates two couples who are studying Colossians chapter 3. And one of the women says, and they're discussing about death, dying to self. One of the women, she says, it's like a little bubble above her. Well, I haven't actually died to sin, but I did feel kind of faint once. And this is exactly what often happens to us. Like, I don't recall dying. Like, when I believe that, I felt something maybe happen. But death, no, I I didn't die. Well, when Christ Jesus died, we, Paul says, were crucified with him, so much so that we have already incurred the judgment of God's wrath for our sin. He drank it all. We died with him, right? Think about death. Death is not cessation of existence, right? Because if you die, your body is separated from your spirit, and it goes to the Lord. Your body goes into the ground. You don't cease to exist. And so I think what he is talking about here is that you have been separated. When you died, you have been separated from something. You also died, and you have been separated, not just from your sin and the penalty, but also from the power that sin had over you. Sin no longer enslaves you. You have been raised up to a new life in Christ so that, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, you became slaves of God. You became slaves of righteousness. I mean, sure, if we're honest, and we should be, we still have this flesh that draws us into sin, and it pulls us in that direction constantly. But Paul says, brother, sister, you have died to these things. You don't have to go there where before you had no power to resist. Today, you have been separated from that, and you have been given Christ and his spirit. When a person dies, friends, their thoughts, their concerns instantly change, instantly change. And so we as Christians, our concerns, our thoughts, the previous concerns and thoughts and pursuits, they died. We are no longer dominated by that. We are now dominated by a new agenda. Look how Paul describes what happened to us when we believed in Christ. Look with me before in Colossians chapter 2, in verse 11, he writes, And in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through the faith in in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rules, And authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through 
him. This is what happened. This is the reality. This is our new position in Christ. The baptism that we just witnessed here this morning is a picture of a spiritual reality that all of you who are professing to know Jesus Christ have experienced. We died to self. We died to self. We are no longer bound by the shackles of the things of this world. We can pursue Christ. We have his attitude because we are not enslaved. Friends, you can respond to your neighbor. You can properly respond to your wife, your husband with patience, kindness, humility because of what took place in the past. And this is why Paul says, set your mind on things. Set your mind, go back. When you feel like you can't or you shouldn't, go back to the gospel where it all began, where you first believed and remind yourself of the change that took place. And you putting on the mind of Christ will stir you to live like Christ. It'll motivate you. In Romans chapter six, verse two when addressing the believer's relationship with sin, Paul asks this rhetorical question, shall we continue or shall we who died to sin still live in it? Shall, shall we who died before to sin through faith in Christ still continue to walk in it? Right? Do you see the similarity? In other words, what Paul is asking here is very similar. Shall we who have died and were raised up with Christ still seek and set our minds on earthly things? So Paul wants us to go back first and consider what had happened. We were made alive in Christ and we were united to him. That's the first reason why we should seek Christ and continue to walk in him because of God's past grace. Number two here, second reason, because you are hidden with Christ. Why should you seek Christ? Because you are hidden with him. Your life Your life, verse three, is hidden with Christ in God. In other words, if you believed in Christ, the life you are living today is not your own. Galatians 2.20, Paul gets very clear here. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that in Christ we have become partakers of his divine nature. Why do we need to know all of these things? Because these things are real. These things are true of us. Our new life today is hidden, and it, it is wrapped up in Jesus. Look at verse 4. Look what he says, when Christ, who is our life, our life. Listen, friends, our life is, has been so closely associated with Christ that he himself is designated as our life. That's the positional truth here. Because Jesus, he not only gives life, he is our life. That's why we're commanded here to seek him. If Christ is going to live out his life in and through us, then Christ wants to be patient, kind, gentle, caring, forgiving. That's what he does. We don't want to misrepresent Christ. If we raise our hand and say, yeah, this, I, I, amen, sister, amen, brother, what you said, 
I, I confess the same thing. If we profess to be Christians, then Paul's encouragement here, are you looking like Jesus Christ because he's living through you or are we lying about Jesus Christ? You see the implication of this truth. Position determines your direction. Position determines your direction. He sets the agenda. He gives the grocery list and he says, Tim, go and get it. He gives us all the resources that we ever need. Go and get it. And so often, when we're short-sighted, right, we, we get lost in another aisle, just doing our own things. Praise the Lord that he reels us back in, right, reminds us, disciplines us oftentimes, gives us more money to go back to the store and make sure we obey him. God is merciful. God is so kind. But friends, this is the encouragement for us. He enables us to do it. He says we are hidden with Christ. We're concealed. We're, basically, we're secret, invisible, invisible. Probably here is a reference to his atoning work, that we are covered by Christ. Beloved, we are hidden from the wrath of God forever, forever. We sang this song, no wrath remains for us to bear, right? We're sheltered. We're sheltered by him. And this is the testimony. This is the encouragement for us. When you do fall, confess. Christ died for your sin. Confess, get up, refresh your mind, look at the agenda, look at the grocery list, and get back to loving and serving Christ. Your life is hidden with him, hidden with him. He paid it all. I mean, oftentimes we wonder, right, because of, I mean, sometimes you come under this um, awareness of how sinful you are. And you wonder sometimes, Lord, if I am aware of everything that I'm thinking about my neighbor right now, what are you aware of? Because we are only aware of 1%, if that, of really what, how wicked we are. That's why David cries out to the Lord and he says, reveal to me, right, the hidden intentions, the hidden motives of my heart. We don't even know how wicked we are. Sometimes the Lord in his mercy allows us to see wickedness. And at that moment, we wonder, wow, is, does God really forgive all of this? Yes, he does. We are hidden in him when we believe because he paid it all for our sin. Christ, who is in us and with whom we are hidden, he stands ready to help us and to strengthen us as we live for him. Friends, present grace is available for us to see Christ and to please him because we are secure and safe in Christ. Finally, one last point here, one last reason, chapter or verse four, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. We are to see Christ because you will be glorified with him. You will be glorified with him. Church, it is, it is true that today, we are talking about living for someone whom we do not see. As Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, he says, and though you have not seen him, you love him. And the world looks at us sometimes, and they're like, okay, I'm not quite sure why you're doing 
what you're doing. I'm not quite sure who you're pursuing. They can't see it. Oftentimes we can't see it. It is by faith, right? Invisible. It is true that we're commanded to set our minds and seek something which can only be taken by faith. We're not pursuing a physical manifestation here. We're pursuing Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. Friends, but here's the encouragement in verse four. The day is coming when the one whom we love will be revealed, will come, unveil himself. He will be made known. And when he appears, we will be revealed with him in glory. That is the encouragement here that Paul gives us. Church, on that day, you and I will definitely be glad that we lived by faith and set our affections on Jesus Christ, whom we did not see. Man, that day will prove that everything that we're going through today is worth it. We not only live in light of today, we live in light of tomorrow. Is it difficult to continually see Christ? Amen. It's difficult and we fall short all the time. So much is competing for our attention and time nowadays, right? But that is why Paul, he opens up this letter to the church in Colossae, and in verse 9, he asks and he prays for the church to have spiritual wisdom and understanding. It requires that. In order to live a life of Christ, you need to have spiritual awareness. It makes no other sense. That's why Paul spends the first two chapters focusing on the preeminence and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ so that we can get it through these thick skulls that apart from Christ and his life in us, we cannot be pleasing to him. You know, sin says, you know, now, now, now. Today's the day. Do it, do it, do it. Forget about tomorrow. That's what what sin gets our minds to think. But God says, Jesus. God says, keep seeking the things above. Jesus, Christ, think about Jesus. If you invest in thinking and seeking Christ, then when your life is revealed, you will not be ashamed. Man, circle this verse, underline it. Verse four, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. This is God's promise to us. We will be glorified with Christ. We have a spectacular future reserved for us, friends. That's why today the command is keep seeking Christ. So here's the exhortation. Because one day Christ will appear and we will appear with him in glory, we should live righteously in the present as those who seek Christ and the things that are associated with him. Keep seeking Christ because you have been made alive in him, because you are hidden in him, and because you will one day be glorified with him. Our new position in Christ results in a new direction in life. Friend, maybe after listening to the message, after listening to these testimonies here, you realize that you do not have the life of God in you. You realize that your position is still old. You have not believed in Jesus Christ. I want to take the second to offer you hope and to call you to look to Jesus Christ. Don't look to the church. Don't look to anything else but Christ, Christ will save you. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Repent and believe in Christ. Don't delay. And for the rest of us who are here, believers, we have great resources. Friends, we have more than $25 to spend. 
unlimited wealth and riches to spend for his kingdom and for his glory. The message for us is to keep seeking Christ, his agenda, his attitudes, and his goals. Father, we thank you. May you encourage and just inspire in us again and again to keep Christ front and center so that all that we do would uh, promote his agenda, would display his attitude and his character in us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.